Amen. It's nice to see all of you here this morning. Uh, a few of you were a little late. I think you all know who you are, but when I walked in here at 11 o'clock, there was like five people. So it's really great that you all made it and you all came. Uh, it, and, and happy Pioneer Day weekend. This is one of my favorite holidays. I was born and raised in Utah, and so I understand how important it is and how valuable it is because I don't have to work tomorrow like everyone else in the country. So if you hate Pioneer Day, because I know a lot of you out-of-staters think it's weird, and you think, uh, we celebrate the 24th more than we celebrate the 4th, it's because you probably work for a company where you have to work tomorrow. And guess what? I would hate it too then. So that makes sense. So uh, before we get started on the sermon, I just want to pray one more time. I just want to invite God in and, and make sure he, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything dumb up here. So, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come together as family and, and worship you. God, we, we, we pray that you would be present with us and that your name would be glorified in all that we do. God, I pray that, that anything that is of me would fall on deaf ears and that your message and your words would be communicated. And we say these things, Father, in your name. Amen. So this week, uh, or this summer, we've been, we've been going through the series, The Anatomy of the Soul. And it's really based on John Calvin's idea that the Psalms reflect the anatomy of the soul. And so if you, if you haven't been uh, here for the last couple of weeks, the sermons are posted. But the last couple of weeks, we've had some really amazing sermons. Josh, was, Josh gave a really heavy sermon a few weeks ago uh, that was awesome. And so I'd encourage you to go check it out. Last week, Benjur talked about fear, and it was, it was really cool. But, but this week, we're going to talk a little bit, you know, it's going to be a little bit more uplifting uh, because we're going to be talking about God's enduring love, and it's going to be, I think it's going to be really awesome. So before we get started, a little background um, on, on really what piece of the soul we're going to be talking about today. And that is that our souls crave security, Right? We crave security in our personal relationships, whether, you know, with the spouse, for example. We want to know that our spouse is going to be there through it all. That's why in our marriage vows, it says through, through sickness and in health, through rich or through poor, till death you part, right? It's important to us that we're with someone who sticks with us through everything. We want to feel secure with that relationship. It's also true of our, of our friends and, and the people that we associate with the most closely, I think about the person that we all have that one person that when we describe and say, oh, he would do anything for me or she would do anything for me or she's, she would always be there. I could call her in the middle of the night and she's going she's gonna to jump too. We feel secure with that person and confident in that person. We also want to feel secure in our, in our appearance and, and how we feel about ourselves and emotionally. That's why we spend a lot of time eating well or not, maybe not all of us. I, I don't do that, but a lot of people spend a lot of time putting money into, or, or a lot of time into eating well, into exercising. We take good care of our bodies, right? And then, lastly, security in, in terms of finances. We we really want to feel secure financially. All of the retirement advisors and all of the retirement commercials right now preach security when you retire. That's what they do. That makes us feel good. That's how they connect with us. We want to feel secure with our finances. But when we don't feel secure, which if we're honest with ourselves, most of the time, we don't feel secure. When we don't feel secure with our spouse or with our relationships, what happens? We split with that person. We go try and find someone else that we do feel secure with. When 
we don't feel good about our, ourselves and we don't have a good self-image and we don't feel secure with who we are, we overindulge. And when we don't have, when we don't feel good about how much money we're making or secure financially, we go into crazy amounts of debt to just give the perception that we're secure. And so what we have to ask ourselves is why is that? Why, what, what causes the insecurity? Because we know that we, can, we are too inconsistent to make sure that we, or to, to feel secure with ourselves, right? We, at the root of security is consistency. We know that somebody's always going to be there. We know that something's always going to be present. And we're not that. We can't be that. We're imperfect and we're inconsistent all the time. But God, God is consistent. God is unmovable. And God is in control of all things. So only God is in control of all things. And so what that does is that, that means that our, our avenue to feeling secure is God and only God. Because God is steadfast. He's unwavering. He's secure, right? So today, as we go through the text, what we're, going to, what we're going to unpack is this idea that God has always been the most powerful. He's always been an amazing God. And through all of that, in every single action, what we see is God's unwavering love and mercy that always has been and always will be. So we're going to be in Psalm 136 today. So if you have, have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. If you don't have your Bibles, underneath the chair is a, a white Bible. It's going to be on page 299. Um, if you have a Bible app on your phone, you can just search, and that's cheating, but it's good. All right. So a little bit of background on this psalm before we get started. So most of the psalms were written by David, or... or and, and if they weren't written by David, we have a good idea who wrote them, but this is one that we actually don't know who the author is. We don't have any idea who it is. But it reads a lot like a song. We have, in, in every single verse, we're going to have a statement that just describes an attribute of God. And then following that, it's going to say, for his steadfast love endures forever. Your Bible may say mercy, but it's, but it's going to repeat that line 27 times through every single verse. And that phrase is important because what, is, what does repetition do for us? When something is repeated over and over and over and over, it does two things. One, it communicates that it's important. Somebody, when, something, when somebody feels like something is important, they say it time and time and over and over. But it also helps us remember it, right? If I think of the most famous speeches in the American history, or in, in the US history specifically, the one that came to mind was the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King. We all know what it was about. We don't know what it was verbatim, but we all can remember, I have a dream. In the New Testament, Christ says, truly, truly, I say unto you, time and time again, whenever he's going to make a really important point. And what do we remember? Truly, truly, I say unto you. If I stood up here and say, give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that, right? It's used in advertising all the time because it helps us remember, right? McDonald's is killing it with I'm loving it because every single time they end a commercial, they play that dumb little jingle. And, and now I go to McDonald's a lot. So it's working, right? So when, it's, when something is important and we need to remember it, it's good, it, repetition is important. This phrase in the Bible uh, for his, for th that we're going to go over today, which is, uh, for his steadfast love endures forever, is actually based on the word, a uh, uh, Hebrew word, 
called Hesek, and what it means literally is mercy, unwavering love, steadfast, and it's used 247 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot. For, for, for those of you guys who don't know, that is a lot of times that that, that statement is used. Now, one of the things to, to know about that is that in the, in the New Testament, right, the New Testament is mostly con- written in Greek, and in the New Testament we have several words that will translate to a single word. For example, love. In the New Testament, we might see the word in Greek, agape, which translates to love of the Father, but we just translate that to love when we're translating the Bible. Uh, there's philos, which is brotherly love, which translates to love. But in Hebrew, when we talk about Hebrew, Hebrew is the opposite. So for one Hebrew word, there might be 15 or 20 English translations, and this is one of them. So the, the Hebrew text says this one word 247 times, which, which again, just that's, that's a ton. It's one of the most commonly used phrases in the Bible, and it tells us a couple of things about God. It's, it's one, that's how the Israelites described him. So they would describe him using this word, but it's also how he would describe himself. And that's important because that means it's a true attribute about him. The other thing before we dive into the text is that, like I said, it's used 27 times in every single verse it's said, which means what it conveys from the author's standpoint is that consistency we talked about. You know, every action that God has, he's consistently loving. He's consistently merciful. And when it comes to security, that's the foundation, is that consistency and that presence. So let's go ahead and flip, pull out the Bible, and we're going we're gonna to dive into the text. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. So when we look at those, those, those first pieces of text, and we're going to go through the rest of it, but we're going to kind of break it into some chunks. So in this first section, it tells us two things about God. You know, we've already laid down the foundation that, he, that he's, he's uh, always there, and he's concrete, and he's constant. But there's two other things that it teaches us. One, the first piece is in the first three verses where it says, he's the God of gods and the Lord of lords. So that tells us, that God is authoritative or he is the authority. And when we talk about authority, authority is important to security because we trust people who are authoritative. So when I was, when I was playing baseball in college and then, and then professionally and, and personally, I've had to fly a lot. I don't love flying. It's not the worst thing, but there's something about being suspended 1,000 feet in the air in a tin tube that makes me feel a little bit uneasy. And so every single time we go, I go on a flight and there's just the slightest bit of turbulence, it makes me really nervous. I hate it. 
will be sitting, well, I'll be sitting in the chair, and all of a sudden it feels like somebody's grabbed the plane and shaking it up and down, and I, I just get really, I get really anxious. And so I, lay, I put my hands on the, the, the armrest, and I lay my head back, and I think of all the ways that, that all the things I should have done before I die, and how I'm going to be on the news because my plane's going down, and just every worst conceivable thing that can happen as a plane crashes, right? And the person next to me inevitably sees me nervous and, and tries to comfort me. Oh, no, you know, this happens all the time. It's going to be fine. And I said, yeah, famous last words. Happens all the time. It never makes me feel better. It, it, most of the time, I'm, I just think, you have no idea what you're talking about. But as soon as I hear the overhead ding of the captain come on and the captain say, we're going to experience some rest fare. Please sit down and put on your seatbelts. It puts me at e well, puts me a little bit at ease because at least he knows what he's talking about. It makes me feel better when he gets on there and says, I know this is going to be bad, but we're going to be okay, because he's experienced it and he's the authority on it. So that makes me feel secure. The next piece that we have here is that he says, to him who alone does great wonders and by understanding made the heavens, he spread out the earth above the waters, he made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day and the stars to rule over the night. That, the imagery there conveys a message of a plan. Understanding, by his understanding, God made everything. He has a plan for everything. And for those of you who are planners, you know how important that is. I am not a planner. I don't claim to be, and I don't try to be, but my wife is. So when we go on vacation, she makes a packing list and says, okay, I need to take all this stuff because I don't want to forget anything. Three and a half months in advance, she starts looking for our hotel, what we're going to do, where we're going to eat. She buys all of our tickets. And inevitably, when we go on vacation, we get there, we, we, have a, we show up to a nice hotel, we know exactly what we're going to do, so we can just kind of hang out and relax, and we don't spend that much money because we bought everything beforehand and she had a great plan. When I plan the vacation, the night before, we stuff everything into a suitcase, and forget a lot of stuff. We'll just buy it when we get there. That's what I always say. We'll just buy it when we get there. So we forget a bunch of stuff. I always end up booking a cruddy hotel. It's, just, it's always in a terrible part of town. It's not new. It's not clean. But it's cheap. That's why I booked it. And then when we get there, we're, we spend so much time trying to figure out what we're going to do that we waste a ton of time, and it's really stressful. And then we end up spending a fortune. I'm not really super good at travel, and that's why I have her, right? But those of you who, know, who, who like to plan and have been in that situation, you know that when there's a plan and that plan is executed, you feel a lot better about the situation. You feel secure with where you're going. When you don't have a plan, it's a nightmare, and it's a headache, and it's stressful. And so, so what we learn here is that, that God is the authority, and he has a plan. So we can feel secure in who he is. The next verses lay out how his plan is in effect with Israel. So in verse 10 it says, To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love 
endures forever. To him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever and killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. So for those of you who aren't super familiar with the Old Testament, this is talking about two separate instances. The first one is the exodus out of Egypt. So the Lord comes to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. So Moses does that, and he goes, he approaches Pharaoh, and Pharaoh laughs at him and says, no, I'm not giving up all my free slave labor. And so consequently, what happens is the plagues. And the plagues are crazy. There are plagues where where locusts come, the frogs come, and the river turns to blood. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. But the last one is called the Passover. And what happens during the Passover is that Moses tells the Israelites to put the blood of a lamb over their doorpost. And when the angel of death comes through, he will pass over all of the homes that have this blood. And so during the night, all the firstborn of Egypt die. And Pharaoh's had enough. Pharaoh says, I can't take it anymore. Get out of here. He sends the nation of Israel out. But as they're camped out, he changes his mind and says, eh, you know what, actually, I'm upset. I want that back. I don't want to give them up. And he starts to pursue them. So the Lord parts the Red Sea in two. The Israelites pass through it. And then the water crushes in on the Egyptians. His steadfast love endures forever. He delivers the nation of Israel from slavery and, and comes in and saves the day. Later, when, it talks about, when, when it's talking about entering into the, the promised land and being striking down the kings, that's a story of Joshua. So Joshua succeeded Moses, and what he did was, was take Israel from the wilderness into Canaan, which was the promised land. So in the, in, earlier in Genesis, the Lord made a covenant with the nation of Israel that he would deliver them into the promised land. And obviously there are people occupying the promised land, right? So he, takes, he, he raises up the nation of Israel, he takes them, they go in, and Joshua and the Israelites defeat King Sihon and King Og and are able to take control of the promised land, and the Lord fulfills his, his covenant, thus fulfilling his plan, because his steadfast love endures forever. But it's easy to see how God's steadfast love endures in those situations because he stepped in and he intervened and he, he rescued them. But the catch to all of that is why would a loving God put them in a position where they needed to be rescued in the first place? You see, Israel spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt. It's hard to see how a loving God would allow his people to be there in the first place. He wouldn't have had to rescue them had they not been there. And then later they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses doesn't even get to get into the promised land. That's a long time and a lot of pain and a lot of strife. Why, why would the, a God whose love endures forever allow that to happen? That seems counterintuitive to me. It seems we're talking, we spent the whole time talking about his endless love, but these are not situations in which you would feel like you're being loved. 
The next couple of verses answer that question for us. It says, It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. See, what the author recognizes and what he says is that God remembers us in our low estate. You see, the better question isn't, why would God who loves us allow all of those things to happen? Why would he allow the Israelites to be stuck in captivity? Or why would he allow them to wander through the desert for 40 years? A better question would be, why does he love a disobedient people through all of that? Why does he save the Israelites when they were disobedient? See, in this, before, before the, after the Israelites are rescued from Egypt, they start complaining about being stuck in the wilderness. The, elders, the first thing the elders say is it would have been better for us to have stayed in Egypt. So the Lord just saved them. And now they're complaining about their current situation, saying it would have been better for them to go off. And that's, that's really how we are. We, are. we are inconsistent, right? We talked about inconsistencies and why we can't feel secure in, in our selves and in our, in, in dependent on people because we're inconsistent. And if I look at myself as an example, I, I, last week I was driving down, the, down uh, on my way to work and I was singing at the top of my lungs, uh, listening to K-Love, and I was probably singing off key, but when I'm in the car by myself, I'm the best artist there is. And so I'm singing at the top of my lungs and I, I get cut off. And I'm embarrassed to admit that I went on a profanity-laced tirade at this person in front of me, whom, if I'm 100% honest, I'm not actually sure if they cut me off or not, or if I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> like I was, but I was mad. I was super mad. And so the fact of the matter is, is that in that moment, when I'm broken and I'm weak, his steadfast love endures forever. It's not that it's not that a loving God allows these bad things to happen. It's that despite everything that I do, his love endures forever. Despite the fact that I'm sinful and broken, his love endures forever. So in his greatest act of love, the Lord demonstrates his strength and his power and his authority when he reveals and fulfills his plan to us. And that's what, he provide, that's what provides us with security. All of those things, all of those temporary things, whether it's a relationship or feelings or money, they cannot provide security. Our spouses are broken. Our bodies can get cancer regardless of what we do. Money can go away. Money can fall away. We could lose it all if the stock market crashed tomorrow, even if we did everything right. But no matter what, God will always be there. His steadfast love endures forever. And if we're talking about security and when we're reflecting on security and what that means for us, 
It means that only in Jesus can we feel secure. So it doesn't matter what you're going through, whether you're in the darkest time of your life or the highest time of your life. The only thing that can bring you out of that is Jesus. He's the only thing that can, that can provide you with the security and hope to know that despite everything I do and despite every circumstance, in the end, I have him. And he delivers me. So I think if this psalm were to continue today, it would read something like this. It would say, he stepped into time and he was born a man because his steadfast love endures forever. He was beaten and crushed because his steadfast love endures forever. He was hung on a cross and he paid the penalty for my sins because his steadfast love endures forever. And he rose from the grave and he conquered death and paid the penalty for each and every single person because his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your gift and your enduring love. Lord, we praise you for the knowledge that that it doesn't matter who we are or what we've done. You love us anyway. Lord, we thank you that you are willing to come and pay the penalty for our sins, for our iniquity. And not because of what we did, but because of who you are. Because you love us. And God, we thank you for the love and the blood that was shed simply so that we could call on your name and have a relationship with you. Know you deeply and personally. And God, we praise you and we love you. Amen.